Hello everyone and welcome back to Bench Busted. My name is Jack and as always I am joined by Nick. Nick, how are you this week? As always Jack, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm happy. I was going to swear there. I was so excited <laughs> I was going to swear. I'm, I'm in a really good mood. Yeah, it's been a interesting week as uh, as a lot of ev- well, as everyone in the FPL community knows it's a, it was a double game week 24 a uh, a relatively small double game week only only doubles for a couple of teams um in in the uh, in the league so we've got a lot to cover we'll run through all of the results or certainly the most notable results from the uh, from from game week 24 and then we'll obviously get on to talk about how our teams did the one thing i do want to bring up um at the time of recording you know there's a lot of speculation shall we say i think that's probably the best way to describe it about the up-and-coming doubles we know that there's been a lot of talk about a big double game week 26 we know that we've got southampton and leeds both doubling in double game week 25 and you know no doubt we'll get on to talk about that later on um when we do talk about how we're looking to line up in in game week 25 but there's again a lot of talk and and a lot of possibilities about double game weeks between I think 26 and and 29 and we know now that 29 is going to be a blank game week for well quite quite honestly I think it's what is it 16 14 teams are, are going to blank in in that week and we know that for sure um so you know there there there's quite a lot of planning to get going on at the moment and and there's definitely going to be a lot of movers and shakers shall we say in terms of where you're going to be ending up at the end of the season and where you're going to be ending up at the end of that sort of small period where we do have games and, and fixtures coming thick and fast so yes yeah, it's, it's a exciting time it, it blooming well is and despite the fact that we're recording this without the double fixtures uh, or the, the game week 26 double fixtures known um i've got a lot I've got a lot of thoughts. Uh, you've been sending me screenshots all week, just new <laughs> screenshots of your team. Like, uh, like, can I take this? Can I take a minus eight? Should I change everyone? It's amazing. There's a lot of opportunity here to, to not just plan, but to, to get ahead of the pack. And if you make the right moves and you make them quick with a bit of planning, you will, especially, I say this, Jack and I are in, uh, we're in a number of mini leagues, but but one that we share is one that I set up with a bunch of sort of friends and random people that we that I've met in my life. And and the guy who's top is usually bottom, um, <laughs> but he's been top all season and he just makes mad moves. He he clearly doesn't plan ahead. He got he got Dallas in for a hit this week and then benched him, which was just an incredible move in my opinion. And um, it's this time of year where the planning really matters and, and getting the right players in matters that uh, that you start to see these sort of players who are at the top of the league who are getting lucky but making silly moves, you start to see them fall down. So I, I suspect that he's going to fall and that we're going to rise, Jack, as a result of it. So I'm pumped. I'm loving it. Yeah, I mean, it's like I say, there's there's a lot of potential for increasing your rank and, and getting mega green arrows, but there is also the sort of, hangover should i say of i i've seen a lot of people wildcarding now and i mean it's not a bad time to do it to be honest because you know there is still the open-ended question of of the, the fixtures and when they're going to be scheduled but i think you and i are of the thought of trying to hold off on on doing that because we are aware of of the future fixtures and and just trying to be a bit more patient and certainly trying to get as much information as we can um going forward so yeah i mean activating a wildcard at the moment is not the worst thing to do by any means but yeah I think that there's a 
I think that we are both set up relatively well to, to combat many of the uh, upcoming doubles. Um, we'll get into some of the Game Week 24 fixtures then and, and we'll just run through all of the fixtures and then let's go through and, and talk about some specific ones that, that particularly stood out for the both of us. So Saturday started off with Leicester versus Liverpool. Leicester won that one 3-1. Crystal Palace versus Burnley. Burnley won that 3-0. Man City 3, Spurs 0. Brighton nil, Aston Villa nil. I don't think there was many surprises from that Brighton-Aston Villa game. On the Sunday then, Southampton lost 2-1 against Wolves. West Brom drew 1-1 against Manchester United. Arsenal come away 4-2 winners against Leeds. And Everton lost at home against Fulham. And then we move into Monday. West Ham beat Sheffield United 3-0. And Chelsea beat Newcastle 2-0. And then of course... The double game week fixtures which occurred on Wednesday, Burnley won, Fulham won and Everton lost at home against Manchester City 3-1. So yeah, a lot of fixtures as we mentioned um, and yeah, I mean that, you know, we'll, we'll get straight into it. The Leicester game against Liverpool. Oh, amazing. What is going on with Liverpool? Oh, it was, do you know what? It looked similar to the Man City game. It looked great for a while and then Alisson just, and Quebec as well, which is what you get when you buy um, a defender from the worst team who who are doing worse than Sheffield United in the Bundesliga. And they just collapsed. They absolutely collapsed at the end. They looked so comfortable. They looked like they were going to go on and score more, especially when they were 1-0 up. And then in the space of 10 minutes, Leicester scored three goals. And it almost came out of nowhere. Just a couple of errors in a row of that weird free kick that Thiago had sort of recklessly given away to start it all off. I don't know what to think. I really don't. They, they were quite comfortable midweek against uh, Red Bull Leipzig in the Champions League and they took a clean sheet away from that and scored two, Salah and Mane. So I think Liverpool are good, except they're looking a lot worse than they are because they just have these periods of games where they just absolutely collapse. And that's what we saw at the weekend. But I'm hopeful that it won't happen in the future, owning Trent Alexander-Arnold still. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm certainly in a very similar position. You know, I have held on to... Andy Robertson and and it feels like again you know we talked about it as well when when Salah went on his little mini run of of not scoring goals and it very much feels like you either keep him in and and you hold on to him because you know what Salah is capable of and of course he did score the uh, opening goal in the game and and I mean it was a fantastic goal lovely assist by Bobby Firmino but you know you're you're at that point now where if you've held held on to Salah so long I mean the, there are questions about well a who do you bring in I mean we know KDB now is is back and well he's back in contention of of a, of a starting spot and when he is fit he he probably nine times out of ten will will start in that Manchester City side but it, there, there are really big questions about who are going to be your premium assets I, I've seen a lot of people getting off of Mo Salah and again, I mean, that's a completely reasonable move. I think I think if you're having a bit of cold feet about Mo Salah and any of the Liverpool attacking assets uh, right now, I think that there, there's absolutely absolutely no reason why you shouldn't jump off of them. Um, I think we know that Diogo Jota is maybe two or three weeks away from coming back into the side, so he will certainly improve them going forward. But yeah, I mean, as you say, it's it's really defensively is, is where they're lacking. Um, I mean, Alisson... I wouldn't really blame Kabak so much on that mistake. I, I think really Allison. Well, what what it what it looked like is it looked like Allison just came rushing out without giving Kabak 
any kind of a call. And yeah, you know, Vardy capitalized on that as, as he normally does or when, when a defensive opponent makes a mistake. You talk about the Madison free kick as well. That was a bit of a weird one because I believe it was Harvey Barnes got fouled on, well, it looked like it was just on the line, but it went to VAR, got reviewed, and it was deemed to be just outside the area. So they have a penalty taken, well, I say taken away. They they, they have a penalty yeah, I guess taken away and, and overturned to a free kick. And then Madison steps up, takes a free kick. It goes past everyone, squeezes in at the far post. Then they go to VAR because it looked like uh, one of the lesser defenders was potentially offside and interfering with play. And then they draw the lines and you see Firmino's foot is there. So it was just a complete roller coaster in that sort of five minute period of it was a goal or it was a penalty. Then it's a free kick. It was a goal. Wasn't a goal. Oh, wait, actually, it is a goal. It was just complete madness. And I mean, I think Leicester, Leicester nailed their game plan. And we've seen it time and time again with Leicester. That sort of attacking trio of Harvey Barnes, James Madison and Jamie Vardy, they are just so ruthless on the counter-attack. Yeah, they, they absolutely are. Especially, especially calm as well. In a game where they'd been absolutely under the cosh, as it, as it were, they were very, very calm and, and very, very quick to, to capitalise on the, well, I say the smallest of mistakes, the unlikeliest of mistakes from, from the Liverpool defence. And, and honestly, um, fair play to them. Fair play to them because for the longest of times, it didn't look like they were going to get anything out of the game. And, and they, they stuck, it, stuck it to Liverpool um, with ruthless efficiency. Yeah, yeah, I mean, spot on, mate. They are... Like I say, it's, it's, it's not like it's something new from Leicester. It's, it's something that we've seen them employ over the last couple of seasons. And I mean, Brendan Rodgers is doing a fantastic job with that team as well. So I feel like certainly a lot of the Leicester assets, um, I mean, Leicester are one of the teams who potentially are going to double in, in, in game week 26. And it does look like that they are one of the teams that has sort of the, the more favourable fixtures, shall we put it, if they are to double in, in, in game week 26. And I mean, they they are just looking fantastic. And although Vardy, you know, he's getting on a bit now, he still has that raw pace. He still has that raw ability to, to just finish past any keeper and dribble past any defender. So certainly the Leicester assets are, are definitely on my radar, as you know, from the many screenshots that you mentioned that, that I had been sending you throughout the entire week. Uh, we'll move on to the Man City game now. Now, a massive game between Manchester City and Spurs and Manchester City I mean made it look quite comfortable I mean Harry Kane did have his chances he had that free kick that came cannoning back off of the uh, I think it was off of sort of the intersection between the crossbar and the post and it almost deflected back in Edison was no chance he was getting that but I think he was relieved to see the ball come back into his uh, into his gloves when it was recycled and back into the box. So Man City 3-0, Gundogan getting two goals. I mean, the only bad thing about the game for me was he went off injured. Yeah, he went off injured. And actually, I watched the game. So I brought in Sterling, obviously, um, had Sterling captained because for some reason, I just I just have this bias where our captain, the player who costs like a lot of money, who feels premium, but it should have been Gundogan. I, I think everything was sensible. The sensible move was would have been to captain Gundogan. And yeah, he was brilliant. He was phenomenal. And it is a shame he got injured, but he looked... The, the way he's arriving in the box now and how whenever Man City attack, he's there, is is special. It's, it's a special sort of thing because... He got injured. He didn't play the Everton game, which obviously Man City won 3-1. 
But I think I messaged you possibly just before every single time Man City scored saying Man City look crap. They don't look they don't look energetic. They don't look very <laughs> I want to say that they didn't look like they were trying to penetrate, but at times they were moving the ball really, really slowly and then trying to speed it up, um, which is how their second goal came about, I think, where they were moving it really slowly, um, horizontally across the pitch, and then a couple of quick passes and and, and Bernardo Silva and Mares were just through. But on the whole, they looked bad and they, they looked like they were sort of reverting to type, whereas when Gundogan plays, they get a, a whole new attacking dimension where they have this drive through midfield that they don't usually have with with like Sterling and Mares pushed out as far as wide like far wide possible to the to the sides of the pitch. So I love him and and I wish I'd captained him. I wish I'd had that belief. But um but I didn't. And gosh, I really just hope he's not injured because it'd be it'd be an absolute shame to lose a player like that and especially such a cheap enabler in fantasy football terms from from the game um for, for however long. Although Pepper said that he could have played against Everton if it was uh, an important game. And that he should be back for the Arsenal game at the weekend, I believe. Yeah, that's exactly what I've heard as well. So I'm 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 keeping everything crossed. Um I can understand why Pep wasn't gonna risk him. I mean, he did also come out and say, you know, if he's fit, then one hundred percent he plays because he's on form and he is one of their arguably one of their best players. I mean, he won player of the month for January. So he is absolutely on fire. But when you look back at his sort of stats, and granted, he didn't really feature in a lot of games um, before the turn of the year. But ever since then, I mean, yes, KDB's been in and out of the side and maybe that has sort of helped him cement his his role in that team and, and has helped him get further forward. But even when Pep is questioned about, you know, the possibility of, of playing them both together consistently... He says, yeah, you know, why not? I mean, they're both fantastic players. Why why wouldn't you want to play them both? And okay, there are a lot of doubts about his positioning when KDB does inevitably come back into the team. But when, I think it was for, for about five or six games um, before KDB's injury, they were pretty much featuring alongside each other. And, and, you know, in that little spell, I think he scored three or four goals as well. So maybe it will limit him in terms of, you know, how many runs forward he gets. But I, I don't think that that's a limiting factor. I mean, you, you've heard quotes as well of Pep saying, you know, a lot of people were telling me or, or doubting me when I was saying that Gundogan could play as a false nine. He hasn't done that yet. I think it would be very exciting, a very interesting prospect as well if, if he does push Gundogan further forward, because as you say, his runs into the box are just phenomenal at the moment. And, you know, he's scored 11 goals since the start of 2021. The guy's just unbelievable. Um, there's absolutely nothing more to say about that game, to be honest. I mean, yeah, like I say, Spurs looked. I mean, I mean, Kane. He's he's the only Spurs player that I would look at potentially bringing into my team. Again, Spurs, one of the teams could have a double, and and their fixtures do look relatively favourable. Not just in the sort of up and coming double game weeks, but certainly from now until the end of the season. They look very, very good on paper. Um, we know that it doesn't always play out like that. But Spurs, I don't know. I, I think Spurs and Mourinho will be very much looking looking to bounce back from that one. Um, we'll move on to, well, a game that I particularly want to talk about. And that's the Arsenal versus Leeds game. Another relatively high scoring one. Arsenal 4, Leeds 2. Aubameyang is back. Is he Nick? He's not back, Jack. He's not back. <laughs> don't don't get hyped by this. I I think of course he's going to be a good op. He, well, he'd be a good option if he didn't cost twelve mil, right? Or 
less than 12 mil now because his price has obviously dropped a little bit. He performed well. He plays well. He's actually scored more goals than Anthony Martial this season, I believe. I just think that he's a difficult... He, he he's I think he's just at the wrong price point, I'm afraid. So he, he might be back. He might be scoring a couple of goals or, or a hat-trick here and there. But against Leeds especially, who perform really poorly actually when Phillips isn't in the squad, and he wasn't um, for the Arsenal game, I think it's a bit of a it would be a bit of an overreaction for us to stand and boldly claim out of our windows to the people walking by below that that our Bamiang is back, baby. <laughs> because I don't think he is. But he does look he looks good, he looks up for it. And the real story might be actually that that in that Arsenal team there could be some good picks that aren't him. I don't think Bellerin, who did score, is is potentially an option, but but Tierney, who seems to be injured, but they don't never give news on it. He could be if if he got back to fitness. Uh, Saka is the big headliner for me, and and maybe even uh, Emil Smith Rowe, who who also looks to be cementing a spot in the team. So I don't know, Jack. A couple of cheap midfield options there for you, if uh, <laughs> if you'd be so inclined. But I don't think I don't think Aubameyang is a cheap midfield option that you'd be looking at. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, you you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head with with your talk about you know him being. I, I think based off of last season, I can understand why FPL priced him so high. Moving him back to a midfielder as well. Of course, last season he he was a striker, so moving him into that midfield role was one of those. Uh, Interesting decisions, shall we say, because he he was known to be starting out on on the left wing more than more than playing as that central striker in that Arsenal side. But I can understand why they did it. I don't think he's going to be a selection for me. Um, Saka and Emil Smith Rowe, I think, are, are, are certainly where it's at. I mean, Saka, as you say, he's at that you know five to six million price point, which we all know that I love. And even better, Emil Smith Rowe is only four point three million. And that is, as you say, it's such a a great enabling midfield spot. If you are looking for someone who, let's be honest, I mean, pretty much has has nailed down his starting spot for the last, what is it, 10, 9, 10 game weeks now. So he's been fully in that squad. I think Arteta very much believes in him. And and you can see that in in the way that they're playing and, and the way that he's getting forward and there's that relationship between him and Saka who have come up through the Arsenal youth system together. And, and you can see that being displayed on the pitch. I think Arsenal, a lot of fans would were always complaining. Certainly when Wenger was there, there were a lot of fans complaining about not spending enough money. And, you know, towards the end of his regime, they were spending a bit more money and a bit more frivolously to bring in the, the, the world-class talent like Aubameyang. But the reason that he wasn't spending a lot is because the Arsenal youth system is just so good at producing talented young players and, and talented young Englishmen at that as well. So I think ESR and, and Saka are certainly, for me, the, the, the options to, to be looking at. I mean, Leeds, as you say, Phillips missing from the squad, talks about him potentially not being back for their Wolves game, but but certainly afterwards um, he, he should be back in contention in, in that squad. Bamford blanking Bamford was of course my transfer into the team going into game week 24 to try and set up for game week 25 but Bamford looked a bit off it they they just couldn't get the ball into him they they weren't Leeds were trying to pump the ball forward and and Patrick Bamford is is not a hold up player he, he's not a target man and 
I'm probably still going to hold on to him. Um, Rafinha looks like he could be a good pick as well. Relatively low ownership. Still at Dallas, as you say, he played. He conceded four goals and he also got a yellow card. So I'm glad that I did bench him. But again, he's he's in the team for, for the doubles. So Leeds, I, I think that they'll bounce back. And I think certainly Leeds, if they don't win, they I mean, they, they play some very, very exciting football. And it seems as if Bielsa has, if they do go a goal down, two goals down, they don't change the way that they play. They still try and attack and get goals back. Yeah, it's useful for, for fantasy, isn't it? Whereas if you earn like a own like a Spurs player like Kane or, or Son, you know that when they go one nil up, they're often not even going to try and attack anymore. So um, there's advantages to to knowing that a team are consistently going to do that, and they're not going to give up any ideolog- ideological um, ground when they go behind. So fair play to Leeds, um, and they make better. They, 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 Bielsa makes good fantasy football options, especially Bamford. But Rafina as well has to be said that he's looking very good. I think he scored, I don't know the numbers, he scored a lot of points recently. He seems to return every week and is one of the most commonly brought in players ahead of Leeds double game week as well in 25. So keep an eye on him. Although I'd like to see him blank because I just don't think I have room for him in the team. <laughs> yeah, again, it's, it's one of those things, you know, if we knew who was playing in double game at 26 and if we knew all of the permutations and all of the fixtures were locked in I think certainly a lot of our decisions would be made a hell of a lot easier um going into the uh, next up and coming fixtures um I feel like a lot of managers are in my position as well with two free transfers just sort of waiting for for any kind of announcement um but it I mean we still haven't got it yet as as we mentioned at at, at the top of the show but you know, I'm still keeping all my fingers and toes crossed and maybe, maybe Rafinha might make his way into the team. Another notable fixture on the Sunday was West Brom 1, Manchester United 1. And I feel like we we had this discussion last week talking about who to captain and whether or not you take the risk in captaining a player who's not doubling, um, who has less of a chance of returning. I know a lot of people captained Bruno Fernandes. He did pick up a goal. But West Brom, yes, they scored relatively early. And I mean, Man United pretty much dominated the, the, the remaining portion of the game after the West Brom goal. But they, they certainly made it difficult for Man United, didn't they? They did. Um, they scored early, which was, yeah, brutal for, for, for United because you knew as soon as they scored what their game plan was going to be for the, for the rest of the game. You, you failed to mention, actually, that who got the assist for the for the United goal, which is Luke Shaw, my man, Luke Shaw. Thank you very much. <laughs> got all three bonus as well. But um, I agree. I, I think I think United actually struggled to create, and West Brom held out quite well. Especially weird considering that West Brom have not held out well against anyone at any point this season, except maybe like Man City when they drew one one under under a different manager. <laughs> so. So is that a problem with Man United? Are they failing to create good clear-cut opportunities? Was it just a result of sort of variance? Were they just unlucky on the day? Or or, or is it, as Harry uh, Harry Maguire said in the post-match interview, it's just difficult to come here and, ca- and create clear-cut chances? Uh, I think he said a number as well. I think he put a number on it. I think he said, teams don't come here and create 10-plus clear-cut chances when someone fact-checked that and... Every team that had gone there since like the middle of November had. <laughs> so I think I think it was a bad day for United. I don't think their attackers are a write-off. I don't think they're failing too badly to create chances. They did create a lot. 
I think that they play Rashford on the right, which seems to be a bit of a problem at times because, um, well, he's just better. He's better on the left, right? Is that right? Have I got the right sides? I think I've got that the right way around. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't know. There's just something missing from that team at, at, at times. Um, but I wouldn't panic about it. And I'm captaining Bruno this week, probably, against Newcastle, which we'll definitely talk about later because that is a double game week versus single game week sort of problem that will be very fun to get into. I think, yeah. It, on the whole, United were just a, a bit unlucky. Uh, West Brom defended very well. Yeah, as you say, I mean, certainly getting that early goal, it does then draw you into, I, I don't want to call it a Sam Allardyce mentality because I feel like he, he he does want to, you know, try and win games and, and, and try and not get relegated with West Brom. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But we know that Sam Allardyce, his teams generally don't tend to score a lot of goals. Um, certainly not in recent times. And, and I think West Brom, they have recruited well. The goal scorer, Diania, looks fantastic. I mean, he's, he's had a hand in, in a few of their most recent goals. So so he does look like someone who, I mean, if you're so inclined to, to maybe take a punt uh, on a 6.0 striker, then, I mean, fair play. Their fixtures look okay, um, certainly in the immediate future as well. And, and they are looking like one of the teams who could potentially double um, in in 26, maybe in 27, we, we again we don't know when that fixture will be rescheduled, but their their fixtures look favourable. Whether or not they can string a couple of wins together is is yet to be seen. But certainly, I mean, West Brom may be showing signs of of, of attacking threat. We'll move on to Monday and and the games that occurred on Monday evening. First game up was West Ham three, Sheffield United nil, and. You mentioned it before we started recording and, and questions about whether or not Mikhail Antonio would, would would actually be fit in time for, for Game Week 25. He, of course, wasn't fit for the game against Sheffield United. And it certainly seemed like a game where if he was fit and if he was firing on all cylinders, he, he could have picked up a couple of goals in that one. I mean, you know, he would have had that penalty. Absolutely no doubt in, in my mind that he would have taken that penalty ahead of Declan Rice. And I just feel like, he would have been, his power, his pace and everything, his physicality would have just been way too much for that for that Sheffield United defence. Yeah, it's it's one of those shames, isn't it? Where he just wasn't fit enough. And gosh, I hope he's fit enough for the next game week because that's also playing on my mind uh, as, it, as it happens. Because the way that his injury has been managed is that David Moyes comes out and says he's close and then he doesn't play for four weeks. So a bit worried there. Otherwise... Creswell, another like Cresswell, I, I just never consider him, and he just always scores points, and he scored <laughs> scored twelve points again. <laughs> I just, I can't hack it. I need, I what, what more? Should I just get him in? Should I admit defeat? It doesn't seem like a clever idea now, but uh, yeah, West Ham looked great, and I don't know if I've mentioned this, Jack, but Sheffield United are quite bad. Um, <laughs> I don't think they're going to stay up. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't bode well for for Sheffield United and and Chris Wilder. I mean. As you say, still dead bottom at the uh, bottom of the Premier League table. I mean, they are now 14 points away from Newcastle, who sit in 17th place on 25 points. So, yeah, I mean, there there are questions being asked. Um, I mean, they are eight points behind Fulham, who are who are again subsequently six points uh, behind Newcastle. So there's a lot of ground for them to make up if they are to pull off arguably one of the greatest Premier League relegation escapes of all time. Um, I mean, to have played 24 games and to only have 11 points uh, doesn't look like they're going to be Derby County, um, but they're, they're certainly uh, 
we talk about the Premier League table and, and the relegation and more often than not, it's always that sort of elusive 40-point mark that teams need to try and achieve. Now, you look at the table and, I mean, the, the, the first team that's on 40 points is Liverpool and they're in sixth place. I'm not by any means saying that Liverpool will be dragged into a relegation scrap, but, you know, when, when you look at Sheffield, there are 14 games left in the Premier League. They need 29 points from those 14 games. And I just don't know when they're going to come from. I think it's been symptomatic of Sheffield United, certainly last season. I think last season as well, they were, again, they, they weren't scoring a lot of goals. But when they were scoring goals, they were very solid defensively. And they would be on the other side of 1-0 wins as opposed to 1-0 defeats. And I think that, you know, you, know, you can see... Something's not quite right there, and they're just not scoring goals. Um, yeah, I, I don't really see any way back for for Sheffield United. We'll move on to talk about uh, the Chelsea versus Newcastle game, which was the evening game on Monday. And I mean, yeah, Chelsea ran away two nil winners in that one. Newcastle, I mean, Newcastle did put Chelsea under pressure a few times. It was a surprise start for Kepper in between the sticks over Edouard Mendy. I think you know Tuchel. We talk about the Pep Roulette, but I think there's only something like three or four players who have featured and, and played in uh, all 90 minutes of Tuchel's first few games in charge of Chelsea. And I think, you know, he he does like to experiment. He does like to rotate. And he is giving everyone a bit of an opportunity to show him why they deserve to start in that team. And it's maybe it's making it a bit more difficult for, for opposition to try and predict how they're going to line up. Yeah, I think opposition is struggling just to understand the formation that Chelsea are playing because of how fluid and, and different it is. Like, in in and out of possession, Chelsea are two different teams, which I absolutely love. I think that's a very modern way of, of approaching football. Um, and it's... The Bru- the Bruce <laughs> the Steve Bruce's of the world struggle with that because the Steve Bruce's of the world struggle with just more than butter on their toast. You can have two. <laughs> yeah, you can have jam as well, Steve. It's yeah, you, you can play two different <laughs> positions. So it's it's tough. Chelsea have only conceded one goal in the league under Tuchel, and that was Zuma, who scored an own goal. I I think they've got a really good defence, and part of my plans, which I will throw at you, it is <laughs> In, in a beautiful way later, um, potentially involve looking at some of the Chelsea defensive assets as a, as a way to free up some funds. I have no idea who, though. <laughs> Alonso suddenly looks like an option, which is absolutely crazy. Azpilicueta looks like a... He looks a bit like an option as well. It's 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 hard. It's, it's really hard. It's hard to figure out who's going to play. I think Mount, who missed the first game under Tuchel, is, is going to start almost every single game now. Um, because he's just obviously good. And I think every single manager he's ever played under can see that. He wasn't just Lampard's golden boy. He's just an incredibly good... He's just one of the best football players at the club. So so he always plays. And yeah, I, I think on the whole, Chelsea, again, still look like they're struggling to go forwards, but but both strikers who, did, who, who played more than 70 minutes uh, scored goals. Abraham came off quite early. Um, I think he's going to be okay for the next game, but it, it, I don't want to make any claims about that. It doesn't matter anyway. He probably won't start. Um, and Werner got his first goal in 4,000 years, which was great <laughs> for him. Good for you, Werner. Good for you. You're not an option, but it's nice. It's nice that, it's nice that you scored. Otherwise, Chelsea looks solid. They're not necessarily flowing in attack yet. Everyone's a rotation risk, except what about Alonso? 
I don't know. I, I, I'm excited about it. Though. Would you get Alonso in? He's one of those difficult players because, as you say, I mean, it does look like Tuchel maybe prefers him over Ben Chilwell at the moment, certainly. Um, having said that, though, I mean, Alonso isn't playing 100% of the game since, since Tuchel came in. Um, so it's a bit of a tricky one. I do like the look of Reese James, but again, it's the same It's the same issue. I mean, he's playing Hudson-Odoi as sort of that right wing back and, and then bringing Reese James off the bench if required and, and if they want to shore up a bit more defensively. So it, I am really not too sure about, about who to go for for that Chelsea defence. If I was to go for anyone, it would probably be uh, Rudiger. But again, that's just for money-saving purposes and he doesn't really offer a lot in terms of his attacking threat, um, but he is certainly picking up quite a few bonus points over over the last couple of weeks as well. So he could be one one to keep an eye on, again, just for pure money-saving perspective. Um, as you say, I think Mount, if you are looking for a Chelsea offensive asset, Mount certainly seems to be the player that's, that's most nailed on, I think, as I say. Tuchel likes to experiment with his side. Havertz really isn't getting a look into that squad. I'm not sure why. I mean, Ziyech and, and Pulisic are making appearances off of the bench more often than not. So I think Mount is, is the way to go. We'll move on to, to the double game week fixtures. And Burnley won, Fulham won. Won't spend too much time talking about that. But certainly the, the Everton versus Manchester City game. 3-1 to Man City without the likes of Gundogan. As, as we said, he picked up an injury in their earlier game against Spurs um, and he wasn't able to to play in the game against Everton but City got off to a great start Foden scored opened up the scoring and then quite a bizarre goal I mean I didn't watch the game I've seen some of the highlights and from what I've seen it sounds as if maybe Richarlison was a bit lucky to score oh he's more than just lucky Jack it was it was a weird cross come shot from from Luca Dean and it hit the it hit the post, and Richarlison had missed the ball from the cross come shot, and it bounced in off his thigh. He, he, he wasn't even looking at the ball; he had no idea what was going on. Um, absolutely clueless. And although I had been preaching, I'd been preaching to you. I'd say I said, when you get rid of DCL, get Richarlison, Jack. He's going to be the one. And he did score, I think, seven points overall in the double game week. I looked at his stats, and I looked at the Twitter response to him scoring. And he'd only had like two shots in the last two shots on target in the last like five games or something. So not actually a very, very good option. And I'm glad you didn't get him, despite the fact that he (laughs) he scored more points than Bamford for your own sake, because he's a very frustrating player to watch. And especially in that game, he had moments where he looked really good and he he linked up well and he played some quite good football in in order to facilitate some some quick counterattacks. But most of the time, he looked clueless. He he lost the ball a lot. He looked very frustrated, and I think Everton as a whole look a bit like that. They, they scored one goal in the, in in both of their games. They conceded five. It's not great from them, is it? And Man City never even got out of gear. They 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 had they again they they had moments of brilliance, and and that's all they needed to to to, to put three past Everton. But they didn't look very they didn't look very cutthroat. If they'd have been cutthroat, I think it could have been a lot more. And um, the Sterling and Foden and Mares, captains of the world, might have been a lot happier. Problem is, they've just got Jesus up front, and he is no Gundogan. <laughs> he is no Gundogan. He he just punts the ball so randomly and so far away from the goal when he's shooting. It's it's incredible how bad he is, um, especially for a team of Man City's caliber. So yeah, God, not a lot of good attacking talent on on display in that game, despite the scoreline. I think and. Um, 
the team severely missed some of their key players. Yeah, I mean, talking of key players, I mean, Sterling, as you say, you stuck the armband on him. Uh, he did get the assist in, in the uh, game against Spurs uh, for one of the Gundogan goals. But yeah, I mean, he got didn't really do a lot in that game. Certainly, uh, from, from the stats, I mean, he didn't really show what he's capable of doing certainly when when he is missing some of the key counterparts in and around him I mean he came off after 80 minutes KDB came on which is fantastic to see I mean he's back from an injury I I feel like Pep is going to want to try and manage his minutes as as best as he can certainly with the Champions League uh, coming up just around the corner and, and of course you know FA Cup fixtures as well and the fact that Man City look like one of the teams who who are going to be having multiple double game weeks in in succession. So I think he, the Pep Roulette will definitely come into it, um, as it did with the, the with the uh, defense as well. I mean, Cancelo started. Diaz was out for the Tottenham game, but he came back into the fold. Stones was benched. Um, Kyle Walker played on on the right hand side, and Cancelo switched over to the left hand side. So I think Pep knows what he gets when he when he's got Cancelo on the field. You know, he's a fantastic utility player he can play anywhere on that left or right hand side and he can even at times push up forward in into the midfield as well I think he's more than capable of of contributing in in that midfield area so I feel like Cancelo is definitely one of the players to own I I mean I got sort of stung in the foot with Ruben Diaz uh, conceding the goal against Everton because it was sort of you know going with a double Man City defense is where I think a lot of managers minds are at at the moment certainly if, if you don't have two of their attackers you're going to have two of their defenders so yeah I mean that one was a bit of a tough pill to swallow but there are multiple clean sheets on the horizon for Man City and especially when you take into consideration the fact that Gundogan and KDB are looking like they'll be back for the Arsenal game on the weekend it's just I honestly can't wait to sit down and watch that game because if he starts both of them and as we say if he does push Gundogan forward into that sort of false nine role I just think it will be a fantastic game of football. Yeah, there's a, there's a real chance that Arsenal... Could, Arsenal do love to get absolutely battered by Man City. <laughs> so I'd go for that. I'd love one of those again. They're always fun. We'll quickly now talk about uh, how we did in Game Week 24. We, we've ran through some of the standout fixtures, or should I say the majority of the standout fixtures um, from Game Week 24. I ended on 90 points. And to be honest, I, I really can't complain about it. Yes, Gundogan didn't play one of the games, but in the game that he did play, he got me 19 points. He was my captain, doubled it to 38. I mean, that what a way to, to, to start the week. I mean, it was fantastic. Um, later on that evening as well, witnessing the Emmy Martinez masterclass yet again. I mean, I, I don't think we're ever going to stop talking about this guy, mate. He pulled off a multitude of saves, nine saves in total against Brighton. And to be honest, Villa didn't look great in that game, um, but he really kept them in it. I mean, as I say, nine saves, 12 points, fantastic, cool as you like. Bruno Fernandes picking up nine points as well, getting the goal against West Brom. Mo Salah, seven points. Cancelo picked up a clean sheet in one of his two games. Soufal as well picked up a, a, a clean sheet. And then, of course, I mean, the only... Disappointment really was Antonio not being fit, Robertson coming off of the bench for for one point. I mean, it was certainly that weird situation where when Liverpool conceded, I sort of half celebrated because I was like, oh yeah, I've benched Robertson and then Antonio doesn't play. So, I mean, it could have been better. But again, I'm not going to complain about 90 points. And I've seen a lot of managers with much, much higher points, but I've also seen a lot of managers with uh, lower points. Isn't that right, Nick? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. I got I got 83. It's it's not the end of the world. We have quite we still have fairly similar teams, I think. Um, in some part, again, you're right. It turns out actually, Fernando. So I didn't captain Gundogan. And if we consider that as a, as a as a thought, as a general thought, my team did better than your team. Um, for, for score <laughs> but we don't unfortunately and captaincy matters and it's something I consistently get wrong which is my own fault um, and I captain Sterling but but Fernandez outscored Sterling he outscored Cancelo he outscored a couple of the, the double game week options that, that you could have considered and that's something to remember especially when it was something that we thought about as well or joked about again Martinez another single game week option who outscored Pope the, the, the popular double game week option because he's just that good, Jack. And you're right. I'm never. We're never going to stop talking about him. He's he's going to outscore Brad Friedel um, unless something absolutely <laughs> devastating happens, and it's awesome. Otherwise, where did I pick up points that you didn't pick up, Jack? I had Sterling for a captaincy. He got an assist in the first game and a yellow card in the second game. Great, seven points. We'll take it. Luke Shaw got a nice eight despite conceding about four seconds into the game, uh, and that's about it. I, I had Kilman come off the bench for a one, and and I had Alexander Arnold already on the pitch for a one. So it's not not perfect, not bad. And as you say, I, I mean, I've got a bunch of green arrows all over the all over the case. So um, I've done well. I've done well in the week, despite again not getting the right captain. I mean, if you want to talk about theoretical picks, I do believe that I mentioned <clears throat> Matty Lowton on the podcast last week. Who again, we haven't really talked about the Burnley uh, the Burnley team, but I mean, you know, they they fan- did fantastically well. One of the one of the teams to double in in game week twenty four. They did fantastic against uh, Crystal Palace three uh, 0 in their first fixture, and of course Matty Lowton picking up all three bonus, scoring a goal, keeping a clean sheet, getting fifteen points from that game. Everyone was, I mean, I know a lot of managers were a bit worried about uh, Ben Mee as well going down with that head injury, and then he subsequently didn't play in the second game. But I said to you going into the double fixtures, I said all that I want is a Fulham goal, and Fulham scored, and it was sort of okay, I can rest a little bit more easier knowing that Matty Lowton isn't going to go and, you know, get 20 plus points. So I can see why a lot of managers were turning to the Burnley assets. And is it something that we should be considering moving forward? I mean, their their, their fixtures certainly look favourable. Maybe their double game week fixtures, not so much. But Charlie Taylor was, was back in the squad to face Fulham. Again, he's a very decent cheap enabler at the back and, and he does like to get forward as well so maybe there are some Burnley defensive assets to keep an eye on but as you say I mean for me I'm I'm, I'm sticking with Emmy Martinez in between the sticks although he does have a few tough fixtures uh, on the horizon I just think that he can keep a clean sheet against anyone and if he's not keeping a clean sheet he's getting at least six saves so he's guaranteeing me at least you know three or four points and it's just fantastic what he watching watching him play watching him keep the way that he does is just Absolutely phenomenal. Oh, he's, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. We'll move on now to talk about the all-important topic of the week. And of course, that is transfers. Now, as I say, we know that Leeds and Southampton are doubling in game week 25. But we also know that there, there are a lot of other teams who are going to be having doubles, maybe even multiple double game weeks. Southampton, of course, being one of those teams who could potentially double in 25 and 26 but again no confirmation yet we we, we don't I don't, I don't want to convince people to to transfer in a player just because it's a lot of speculation at the moment but I look at my team now as you say Gundawan 
Pep has said that, you know, he should be back for the Arsenal game. So he's certainly not making way out, out of my team. Really, the only issue that I have is is Antonio. Um, I mean, I've got Antonio, Suchek and Sufal, And it's not only the fact that they don't have any doubles on the horizon. I mean, you look at their next four fixtures. It's Tottenham at home, Man City away, Leeds at home and Man United away. And it doesn't doesn't bode well for them. Certainly, if, if Antonio isn't playing in at least three out of those four fixtures, it, it doesn't look like he's going to stay in my team. I mean, there has been, again, you know, one of the many many screenshots that I've sent to you you know you've got the likes of Danny Ings you've got Harry Kane who I talked about earlier there's Jamie Vardy as well added into the mixer there there are some decent options to go for Antonio I mean DCL could even be back is is he a player that that I should perhaps bring back into my side because he looks like he's maybe the only Everton player capable of scoring a goal at the moment although they are all just from inside that sort of six yard box so I don't know I I, I think I think I will make a transfer. As I say, I've got two free transfers. It's just, yeah, it's difficult to try and pick out who I want to bring in at the moment. Oh, preach. Absolutely preach. Um, I've got a similar situation to you, Jack. I've only got the one transfer. And the big name that I'm thinking of, the Antonio injury is, is worrying for me. And it's something that I'm looking at addressing as well. And the name that I'm looking at is also Danny Ings. I think... When Southampton are doing poorly, he still turns up and scores. And when they're doing well, he turns up and scores too. <laughs> and he, he that's a bit cliche, but it's its pretty much nail on head. It, it's its the situation that we're in. And, and if Southampton do have a couple of doubles coming up, it might just be worth pulling the trigger on it. My only problem is that I don't actually have enough in the bank to go from Antonio <laughs> to Danny Ings. I'm about 0.4 off. So I'm looking at how I can... I will have to take a hit, but how I'd take a hit to free up the funds. And the two players that look to be the two who are replaceable, or maybe even three, well, no, the two who look replaceable at the moment are Grealish and Alexander-Arnold, where Grealish, he will he will certainly have a bunch of doubles on the horizon, but he's looked a little bit off it. Uh, not off it, that's a lie, but their recent numbers, the recent Aston Villa numbers are a bit lower. But does that really matter when you're Jack Grealish and, and you're the player in the league who's who's the most creative by a dozen metrics? Maybe not. And then the other option, of course, is Alexander-Arnold, who who has, in his next four, at least, he has Sheffield and Fulham, which just screams clean sheets to me. But, but so did the, the past four fixtures where he scored 2-2-0-1. Two, two, <laughs> so it's hard. It's a difficult one. And with the emergence of Chelsea's defensive assets and with the fact that Chelsea will also have a double on 26, presumably, and some pretty pretty reasonable fixtures as well um, in the following weeks. Uh, I know that they've got Manchester United, but apart from that, all seems you know not too bad. I'm considering it, although it would mean that I'd be bringing in a striker and a defender who are playing against each other in, <laughs> in the game week, <laughs> which seems insane, doesn't it? So I've got all these options. I've got all these decisions uh, uh Saka of course is the other option for for Grealish and it might be that I just wait until next week and, and miss Danny Ings's double but if if one of those games is against Chelsea does it even matter is that even a game no one can score against Chelsea they're 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 per- impermeable permeable <laughs> they're, they're they're strong <laughs> they're... so I've got all these thoughts and they're rattling around in my head and yeah, you're so right. Like the clarity that knowing the double game week fixtures would bring would be nice. In all likelihood, it looks like I might wait a week 
and then go Alexander Arnold. <laughs> yeah, might get rid of Alexander Arnold away just before his, his away game to Sheffield United, um, bringing Alonso and upgrade to Ings. Um, but that all remains to be seen, and it's it's all so up in the air for me. And those are the three sort of slots that I'm, I'm faffing with. Otherwise, it could just be as simple as spending my upgraded funds on a better bunch, a better, a better bunch, a better bench option who who might actually play games because Brewster's steady stream of one points is 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 now a steady stream of zero points he, he's not even coming on in some games which is quite quite sad really isn't it so uh <laughs> so yeah gosh i don't know jack i have no idea what i'm gonna do have, have you actually got any because you're going to use the transfer presumably what what are you going to do if if you can't make up your mind well this is it i mean it's it, you don't always have to use a transfer if you've got two in a bank but it is preferable and it is the obvious thing to do because you only do get two free transfers and you can only hold two free transfers at once so it's the obvious thing to do there there are question marks about Antonio's fitness they play Tottenham Tottenham defensively they haven't looked great again that's that's the thing about Antonio we we talked about it when we were bigging him up for for bringing him into our sides and and as soon as he was back and hit the ground running you know he scored two goals in 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 his first two fixtures back in the team. And I mean, that West Ham side going forward have looked fantastic, but that the, the doubts over his fitness and, and, and his ability to play 90 minutes week in, week out is, is one thing that's lingering over my head. We, we know that he's had his injury concerns over the past few seasons. We know that he's, well, let's be honest, he's, he's not a young lad anymore. So it's, it's, it's a tough one. Like I say, I mean, I've got the, the triple West Ham assets. I've got Bamford and Dallas, who are definitely staying in in the side because they, of course, double in in twenty five. Do I want to triple up on on Leeds? Do I want to bring in Rafinha for for Suchek? Is that a move that I can do? I mean, I can do it. I've got five point eight million in the bank, um, so I, I do have a lot of money to to spare. Which it's a bit weird because we do have similar teams, and I'm just trying to figure out where where the money is. I guess it's I guess it's the sterling money that I haven't invested, is it? Yeah, it's the, it's the sterling money. I have I have a mill in the bank and sterling, whereas you have Suchek and 15,000 in the bank. Yeah, <laughs> Hang on, no, 15,000 is less than a mill. You have 15 mil in the bank. God, that was such bad. That was genuinely the worst maths I, I think I've done in a long time. But yeah, I mean, I don't... I'm, I'm, I'm keeping a double city defense. Yeah. I'm keeping Gundogan. I mean, Pep... I guess sort of confirmed their double game week twenty six fixtures. Um, I mean, or you know, he or certainly he confirmed a double game week twenty six, and 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 he was talking about playing against Wolves and Southampton in in quote unquote quick succession, and and you know coming up very soon. So he sort of has more or less confirmed their the double game week twenty six slash twenty seven. Um, it's not set in stone yet. I think Ben Krellin who we you know we talked about last week but the guy is just i mean he's the he is the superhero that that this that that this community just doesn't deserve i mean he is fantastic um at what he does and nine times out of 10 his predictions are are spot on so he has put them in as confirmed double game weeks in 26 and 27 again i just want to wait um until we actually get confirmation from the premier league about that um, like I say, Antonio maybe looks like the player who's going to be making way and, and potentially for Danny Ings. I mean, I have looked at Jamie Vardy as well. You look at Leicester's fixtures and the form that they're in and, you know, they, they can be any any team on their day. 
And when you look at their next four fixtures in the run-up to the blank in, in 29, they got Aston Villa away, Arsenal at home, Brighton away, and Sheffield United at home. So all four of those are just winnable fixtures for, for this Leicester City outfit. Bringing him in, as you say, I mean, it, it, it would be similar to you bringing in Alonso and Ings. I would be bringing in Vardy to play against Emi Martinez. So it would be a bit of a weird situation to find myself in. But I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. I'm I'm also looking at, I mean, I'm looking at bringing in either Barnes or, or Madison as well. And and certainly with the James Justin injury, which, I mean, he's out for the rest of the season now. And he's been, he was fantastic for, for the first half of the season. And, you know, to lose a player of that calibre, Leicester, uh, you know, they're, they're, they are going to be reeling from it. But it does introduce the likes of Ricardo Pereira onto the radar. I mean, he's 5.9 million in the game. Similar price to Cancelo. And now that Justin is out, it, it does look like Ricardo Pereira is going to be nailed on at that right back position and and that Leicester side you know we we have seen him in the past bomb forward he does like to get forward get in on the assists and and the occasional goal as well so he could be an option i don't know i've i've got a lot of decisions to make the 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 deadline is friday at half past 6 i honestly don't know i'm i'm going to wait until the deadline and and or oh, as close to the deadline as i dare uh, shall we say without sort of panicking um, I, I think the the backup move, if I don't hear anything about any of the double game week fixtures, will just be Antonio to Ings. Um, I mean, I could even go Brewster to Ings and, and play with a front three of Bamford, Ings and Antonio and hope that Antonio's fit and, and does something against Spurs. Um, oh, that's exciting, isn't it? I, I was actually thinking while you said that, I think maybe even getting rid of Grealish for, for Madison or Barnes and going Antonio to to Ings myself for a hit could be worth it. I'm all over the place. I'm just an absolute mess. I'm a mess and I'll be doing the same as you. I'll be waiting for the transfers. I think the only thing set in stone, and I say this without knowing who your captain is, is is that we're going to captain... I say we. We're going to captain... For, we're, I'm going to captain Fernandez, and I, I presume it's an easy decision for you. Weak team playing at home, player in quality form. What can go wrong, right? Ticks all the boxes. It does. You're not wrong there. I'm not. I'm not going to fault your logic, and I'm not going to go against your your rules. And I mean, I do have the armband on Bruno Fernandez at the moment. My my only issue, Bamford for the captaincy could be too big to turn down. I think, although as you say, I mean Fernandez against Newcastle. I mean, it's it's a decision again. It's a decision that I need to lock in before this evening because you you know what I'm like with, with my captaincy choices on on the day of the deadline as well so I need to make a decision on that I think Bamford if you if you're not captaining him I feel like anywhere you are in terms of your overall rank he will be fairly high ownership you know he, he he's definitely going to be you know 120 150 percent owned I think um just because he's playing in a double and and you know once he scores one goal in the game more often than not I mean he does look like the most likely player to, to, to score in that lead side. I mean, yes, Rafinha's in there, but I think Bamford is is a player that a lot of people are looking at to, to, to captain. So it's a bit of a toss of a coin, to be honest, mate. Oh, I love that. Well, I, I'm telling you right now, I'm sticking with Fernandez because I just love a pricey player. I'm, I'm a gold digger and I love a pricey player. <laughs> yes, but 
Leeds play against a Southampton side who shipped nine goals. So, I, 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 mate, my, my head is everywhere. And we'll quickly run through the Game Week 25 fixtures then. So, to start off the week on Friday evening, 8 o'clock, Wolves versus Leeds. Then on Saturday at half past 12, we've got Southampton versus Chelsea, which is followed by Burnley versus West Brom, which, to be honest, has got nil-nil, maybe 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 nil nil, maybe one one written all over it. Four one to West Brom <laughs> written all over it. <laughs> then at half past five on Saturday evening we've got the Merseyside Derby, Liverpool hosting Everton. Then we've got Fulham against Sheffield United to end on Saturday evening. Sunday starts off with West Ham versus Spurs in the London Derby, Aston Villa versus Leicester, then Arsenal versus Manchester City. Again, a big clash. Um, and then Man United round off the weekend. Then on Monday, we've got Brighton versus Palace. And then, of course, the double game week fixture on Tuesday. Leeds against Southampton. Yeah, I mean, we've got, again, it's, it's one of those weird weeks where sort of everyone plays everyone. You know, I mean, you you, you were talking about it. You know, Danny Ings plays against Chelsea and you, you Chelsea defence look fairly good at the moment I mean the Merseyside derby as well you've got Arsenal versus Man City which as you mentioned always throws up quite a few goals uh, Man United against uh, against Newcastle is very interesting fixture West Ham against Spurs Spurs looking to bounce back against Man- from from their defeat against Manchester City so yeah there's, there's there's a lot on offer and of course you know the Midland derby as well between Villa and Leicester I think could be one of the most exciting games of of the weekend as well. You're a criminal. Do you know that you're a criminal? I've listened to you name every single derby or every single close game except Brighton versus Crystal Palace which is an official derby. <laughs> it's an official derby and it doesn't get the credit it deserves. <laughs> Oh, the dis- the disrespect to Graham Potter. You know, Brighton have actually, we haven't spoken about them very much. Keep an eye on them. They've kept five clean sheets in the last six games and they're looking um, looking very, very good. I'll just say that. That's all I'm saying. No more about Brighton. I'm just dipping, dipping my little, my little, my little Brighton stick in there. It's a bad <laughs> analogy. It's a poor, it's a really poor analogy. But uh, yeah, God disrespect that I don't even know I think it's a derby because there was a manager or player at one of the clubs who then went to the other club and there was just a bit of beef about it a bit like when Deco went to 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 Real Madrid except Barcelona and Real Madrid have decades of history and and really (laughs) core stuff going on so don't really care too much whereas Brighton and Crystal Palace are sort of like clutching at straws for things to care about and um, that's what they stuck with let's have a little derby they said the, the M20, I don't know, whatever the road is, the M23? I think it's the M23 derby. I think that's what it's called. I literally live in Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> I think on, on, on that note, it's a perfect way to end. So, so Nick is predicting a eight-goal thriller in the Brighton versus Palace game on Monday night. Hopefully. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nick, for joining me as always.